the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Right here on the great Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I am your host, Nick DiGilio. How are you? It is a Friday. It is episode number 71. Thrilled to be here. Thrilled to be a part of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Tons of really varied and amazing and interesting and entertaining podcasts available here. Radiomisfits.com. Take the time to rate and review all of our podcasts on every single platform. My thanks to Jason Skaggs for that wonderful theme. And uh, yeah, it's episode 71. Hey, if you want to be a part of the podcast as a sponsor, this is pretty cool. We reach a lot of people. Lots of people listen to this podcast. You got a business, you got something you want to advertise with us, we'd love to do it for you. So uh, contact us, sales at radiomisfits.com. Get some advertising going here on the uh, podcast, sales at radiomisfits.com. If you would like to be a part of the podcast as a subscriber, as a listener, and please tell your friends and neighbors and jagoffs that you don't like, tell them all to subscribe to the Nick D Podcast. You can find it at radiomisfits.com and every single platform everywhere. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail message anytime you want, 24-7. It's available. Do it. Leave your comments. Leave your questions. Leave your feedback. Leave anything you want, 773-417-6948. You can drop us an email anytime you want, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of emails, we got one here. We get a bunch of emails. We get a bunch of voicemails. We listen to every one of them. We read every one of them, and we uh, read some of them back and play many of them back uh, on the podcast. So be a part of it, 773-417-6948 for the voicemail, nickdpodcast at gmail.com for the email. Mike sends a, uh, an email that says, Hey, Nick, my name is Mike, and I've been a fan for a long time. I thought I would reach out and tell you how much I'm enjoying your podcast. Thank you, Mike. I'm glad to have you back and be able to listen uh, on my time with the new format and the freedom that you have on it. It's great. I'm a regular uh, flashback weekend attendee and was in the audience for your live show, and as always, you were at your very best when discussing horror. Oh, thank you, dude. Thank you for coming out. Yeah, we did our very first live uh, Nick D podcast, Esmeralda and I, at the Flashback Horror Convention. By the way, we've got some live uh, podcast um, uh, shows coming up. Uh, and uh, one of the places where we may be doing one, and I'd love to hear feedback on you. Would you come out to Zanies in Rosemont? Um, we are working uh, on getting a couple of dates to do our live podcast with guests in front of an audience uh, at Zanies. Uh, wouldn't cost you much. There'd be a there'd be a prize a, a price at the door, uh, but would you come out? Let's let's hear from you. Uh, email us uh, nickdpodcast at gmail dot com or leave us a voicemail message at seven seven three four one seven six nine four eight. We're planning on uh, making a couple of dates out there at the beautiful room in Rosemont, Zanies in Rosemont, and uh, Zanies has been like, yeah, hey, we will host some live podcasts with you. So Esmeralda and I are going to go out there. Uh, we're going to have guests on each night. And it'll uh, you just come on out, pay uh, pay pay a little admission price, 
and uh, you'll get to be a part of the live podcast that we'll be doing at Zany's. If, uh, yeah, if you want to come out, let us know. We want to hear some feedback before we, because we're going to book a couple of dates. It's a very strong possibility that we'll be booking some live podcast dates at Zany's in Rosemont because uh, it's a great room. The people are great there, and it's a lot of fun. And it would be great to meet you guys, to meet you subscribers, to meet the listeners. Come on out, be a part of it, and it'll be cool. So uh, if you're interested in that, Give us our feed. Give us feedback on that with our email or voicemail or whatever, and uh, you know we're going to be doing this. And hopefully, you'll come out and let's pack the place. I'll give you a specific date and time. We're working on all that right now, but we're working on uh, doing some live podcast uh, shows at Zany's in Rosemont. So hopefully, that'll work out. Uh, he says, "I even tried watching Nightwing based on your David Warner tribute. I'm sorry I couldn't make it very far. I understand that." Not a great movie, but David Warner passed away uh, a couple of months ago, and he's one of my favorites, and he was in this movie called Nightwing, which was about killer bats, and I, I recommend it only if you're a David Warner fan. Um, I was the WGN Kid of the Week about 16 or 17 years ago when you were filling in on, a sat- on the Saturday show. Um, I was the film critic for the school paper, and you gave me a lot of encouragement and always meant a lot to me. You made an awkward kid's day. Oh, thanks, dude. Uh, keep up the good work. I love your film content, even when we disagree, because you give the audience something to think about, and your love of the medium always is the most important thing that you relay. Oh, I appreciate that, Mike. Thank you, dude. Thank you for being a listener. Thank you for being a part. Thank you for subscribing. Uh, thank you for trying to watch Nightwing. Thank you for coming out to Flashback Weekend. Thank you for everything, dude. I really appreciate it. And I, I love these kind of emails, and I really appreciate it. And, Mike, I hope to see you when we uh, nail down a date over at Zany's. Uh in uh, Rosemont. So that's all coming up. Also coming up, uh, Eric and Steve. Eric Childress, Steve Procopi, my movie critic guys. Lots of movies to talk about. In fact, Eric just got back from Toronto Film Festival. We'll quickly catch up a little bit with that. And then, of course, Esmeralda Leon is going to join us. Um, we are going to talk about terrible songs that inexplicably sold millions of records. So that's all coming up on the podcast. I hope you uh, enjoy it. I think you will. Great people, great shows, great topics. All of the fun stuff continues right here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And uh, uh, you know who else loves it? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, baby. All right, Eric, Steve, movies, congratulations. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh, yeah, don't be a jackoff. can only mean one theme thing theme whatever the hell i'm saying uh it can only mean one thing and that is it's movie review time and uh we do this uh every other friday we review the new movies and talk about movies in general and all kinds of cool stuff lots of stuff came out this week so we're gonna get right to it eric childress um uh joins us hello eric hello uh and steve procopi hello steve hello there before we jump into it eric tell everyone where they can hear your stuff and read your stuff and see your stuff Yes, over at Now Play Network and uh, Apple Podcasts, I have two podcasts, uh, the Movie Madness podcast that uh, Steve Procopi is a regular guest on, and also the Friendship Dilemma that I do with Morgan Geyer, where we talk about male and female friendships in the movies. Okay. And uh, Steve, uh, where can people read your stuff and see your stuff and all that? 
in addition to the podcast uh, with Eric, uh, I'm also, you can read my reviews at thirdcoastreview.com and uh, find me pretty much like every other day at the Music Box Theater, where I also work doing okay. PR. I was All just right, there cool. last night for uh, It's Alive. Larry Cohen's Ah, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> you guys had a 35 print of that, right? Oh, it, and it was beat to shit. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> but it was amazing. <laughs> well, that's appropriate. That, that's appropriate. Yes. That, uh, I yes. saw that. I saw that movie when it opened. The weekend it opened at the Woods Theater, um, mm. as a <laughs> child, and uh, uh, it's, it's Larry Cohen, man. What can you say? What can you? It say? was a hit. So it yeah. got played, and this print definitely got played. So. No, it was a huge hit. I saw it several. I mean, shit. There, there, there are three sequels. Mm-hmm. One of which, of course, is called Island of the Alive, which, of course, is ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, yeah, Larry Cohen, he, he, the king. Well, cool. All right. Um, so we got uh, lots to talk about. But, uh, Eric, you just got back from uh, the Toronto International Film Festival. And uh, this is uh, now obviously for a couple of years you didn't go because of uh, obviously because of COVID and some other things right. and blah, blah, blah. This is your first time since what, 2019? Uh, first time in Toronto for 2019, my first for any film festival outside of Chicago, of course, since Sundance of 2020. Ah, well, that makes yeah. sense, because right around Sundance yeah. of 2020, when, when the shit hit the fan. That's right. Uh, so there you go. All right. Well, uh, so you went, and uh, uh, how different was it than it usually is? Because obviously things are different now. Things have changed. Yeah. I mean, if you would have said that it was 2020. Uh, I would not have noticed uh, anything different. I mean, there weren't any uh, really, you know, any kind of strict guidelines there uh, about, you know, mask wearing or anything like that. Uh, pretty much everyone there was not wearing a mask for the for the most part. Uh, so, I mean, as far as like health guidelines, there really wasn't anything that uh, obstructed with anything. And I mean, screenings filled up. Uh, there are people tripping on the stairs as they always do at the festival. And it just it felt like uh, I, I was, it was back. You know, in, in so many ways. And it was it was good to get out. You know, I was I was very trepidatious about getting out there uh, to, to doing the festival again. Uh, and I'm still you know, I mean, I, I babysit two young ones who aren't uh, vaccine eligible, at least. Uh, so I just I'm very cautious about my surroundings. And but it was good for my, just my sort of my own self esteem sure. to sort of get sure. back out there and realize that I wasn't as nervous as I thought I might be yeah. and I was comfortable and I came home and I'm still me and healthy yeah. so I'm, yeah. I think it was a success well good all right well um what are a couple of things that you wanted to talk about a lot of the stuff that they showed at Toronto we'll be seeing in the coming weeks and and uh, and and a couple of months before the end of the year and a lot of them are uh, a lot of the films that they show at Toronto and particularly this year are uh, awards-heavy stuff that's going to be, you know, pitched about during the uh, the award season coming up and nominated for many things. Uh, so what? Yeah. What are a couple of the things that you wanted to mention? I'm, I'm assuming well, couple- that I'm, ass- I'm assuming if we had three hours, you'd want to talk about the fucking Spielberg movie. Uh, well, we could. Yes. Yeah. We, we we absolutely could. I'll save that one for the end. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, but honestly, I think the best thing that I saw at the festival this year was Sarah Polly's Women Talking. Wait, it's um, better than the Spielberg movie? Come on. Uh, on my on my list, it is better than the Spielberg movie. Holy crap. Wow. Yes. That's wow. how good this movie is. Wow. Uh, Spielberg's number two. But uh, right. but Women Talking, <laughs> it's the, I mean, th- this movie, I mean, Sarah Polly has just been such an accomplished filmmaker, uh, and she hasn't done a lot, and we've been waiting for her to do her next movie, and this is the one that I think is probably going to at least win her at least one Oscar, probably for screenplay. 
the the cast of this Rooney Mara and Claire Foy and Jesse Buckley and I mean that and that's just the top three right there. It's an amazing cast and it's about this uh, religious colony uh, and the women who have been raped and abused and been lied to about it for for years and years and they finally just had enough and they all get together basically form this debate over this one day uh trying to figure out whether that they're going to just stay and fight or if they're all just going to pack up and leave mm. and it's you know it sounds like this might be this sort of this dry you know play-like sort of setting but between the performances and the writing it is as powerful a piece of work that i've seen all year the performances are incredible and mm. it's it's really moving and uh, you know, it has like one male speaking part uh, by uh, Ben Wayshaw, who is probably going to get nominated himself, I think, in, in the film. And I'm, I'm telling you, man, Sarah Polly, we've been waiting for her to, to come back uh, since uh, Stories We Tell. Yeah. And she's come back with a vengeance with All this right. movie. Okay, cool. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. When do we? When mm-hmm. does it get uh, released? Uh, um, it's getting it's getting spread out. Uh, I think in December. Uh, there's okay. going to be screenings uh, throughout, but it'll, I think December, and then I think it goes a little wider in January. I think. Okay. All right. So that's that's definitely. I have it. I have it on good authority. It might uh, be playing here at a certain film festival in October as well. Oh, all right. Yes. Okay. Uh, All right. Uh, What else uh, did you want to mention quickly? Well, I mean, Glass Onion, the new Knives Out movie, uh, Ryan Johnson. (laughs) And this movie, I mean, waiting to see whether or not, uh, you know, he was going to continue his his streak uh, and do a worthy follow-up to Knives Out. I don't know why it was was ever in doubt, but it it shouldn't be because this movie is at, at least as good, if not better, than the original film and cool. just in terms of just being completely fun uh the mystery the twist and turns the cast is hilarious uh and it doesn't lose that that that's real cynical edge that the original movie had about the sort of the haves and the haves and have nots yeah and this one i mean the, the edward norton gives the, the comic performance of his career in this movie he's so funny and uh, everyone is just having a blast. And it's, you know, I don't know if Netflix is going to release this really wide into theaters. There's talk about that going on right now. But it's going to be in December on Netflix. But if you do get a chance to see it in a theater with an audience, the, the audience I saw it with absolutely lapped it up. Yeah. It is pretty amazing. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that all of these Netflix uh, films that, uh, you know, are going to be streaming, how many of them should be seen on the big screen. Uh, Steve, right. you, and I, you and I saw Blonde. Uh, yeah jesus christ a couple of days ago and (laughs) that that's one that should be seen on the big screen i you know uh with its use of color and widescreen and Mm -hmm. and, you know different uses of lenses and and black and white and stuff like that it's a film i mean it's god damn it it's andrew dominic of course it should be seen on the big screen but you know like i i find it I'm, i'm happy that these movies are being seen and they have an outlet but i really would hope that i know that it's easier for you to just turn you know tune it in Mm-hmm. But if you can get out to the theater, you know, and I and I, I would imagine Glass Onion is the same way. But if you can get to the theater to see Blonde, uh, actually on a big screen, yet you, you you fucking should. <laughs> yeah. I believe it is opening at least at the Landmark uh, in Chicago. Yeah. Well, so, and I will say Glass Onion also a part of this October. I'm yeah October event of which I was referring to earlier. Okay. Uh, All right. Yes. But with this and with a special uh tribute to Catherine Hahn. Actually he's gonna be there, I think. Oh, very nice. Yes. Anyway. She rules. Yeah. She rules. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now you know similarly, uh I, I you know we've only got a couple seconds here because I want we got so many movies to talk about. But right. similarly on a similar vein you saw the menu, uh which is a I movie did. that 
that uh, I don't know how similar it is to Glass Onion, except that it's like a sort of weird <laughs> sort of. But um, I mean, I am really intrigued by it because I love every person in it. Like every every single cast member, I love. Yeah. Uh, and the guy behind it is one of the one of the strongest directors who who uh, works on Succession. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I know it it seems like it has that sort of Succession kind of attitude to it. Um, and it's about, you know, it's also about, uh, about food, which is one of my weaknesses. Yeah. Uh, and so that's the menu. What, what, what do you make of this? Well, then I think it's probably going to be on your top 10 list. <laughs> yeah. all, all of that stuff. But, uh, I don't think it's going to make my top 10 list, but I definitely enjoyed it. It was actually in my top five of the, of the films that I saw and yeah. everything you just said. I mean, if, if you, if you were, if you're just going in for the food, you're going to have fun with it if you're going in for the social satire and the pretentiousness that comes along with being foodies and whatnot you're gonna have a blast (laughs) uh and you're just gonna have great fun watching ray fines just toy with this his his clientele in this film and uh it's pretty straightforward it's not you know it's not filled with a lot of great twists and turns but what's there is incredibly enjoyable and i had a goofy smile on my face the entire way through all right well listen uh, obviously the uh, what the hell is it called? Fable, the Fablemans. The Fablemans, right? yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so that that's the one that you uh, obviously wanted to save for last because it's Spielberg yeah. and all that stuff. So uh, go ahead. Yeah, it's it's just what everything that I wanted and expected out of this movie. And you know, we've got this sort of this thing going on now where all of these big directors are doing these sort of these tributes to their childhood and the nature of cinema and you know Branagh with Belfast and Carone with Roma and now as Sam Mendes with Empire Light and now you get the Fablemans with Spielberg and you know I mean anyone you know I'm clearly a Spielberg guy I know everything about him and his history and you like listen you like the terminal that's all people need I, to know I love the terminal <laughs> right. okay then that's like it the terminal. that's yes. okay uh, then that's okay. all that's, all, that's, say, that's right. all people need to know <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and this movie, but this movie really is. I mean, you had talked about um, there's another movie you're going to be reviewing. You talked about sort of the personal connection that you have to it uh, with you growing older, Nick. And this, you know, sort of made me long back to my youth with watching elements of Spielberg's childhood and the way that he used film to connect with the people, not just connect with the people in his lives, but to try to find catharsis and try to fit in with his high school. I mean, there, there are so many elements that I just recognize from my own youth. I, it just made me sad that I wasn't Steven Spielberg. Uh, but, <laughs> but I, you know, watching this movie and knowing everything about his childhood and everything, it, it you know, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's really a beautiful movie. And if, if anything, Nick, if you could take away from this, uh, Michelle Williams is going to yeah. win the Oscar. Well, I mean, best supporting it, actress. It, it, the, the trailer makes it uh, completely obvious that first of all, she's going to yes. kick ass in it, and second of all, it seems to me like it's a complete love letter to his mom. That's what. It yeah, seems it, like. it really is. It, it's a love letter to his parents, and it's showing again, like he made this film in a way, and you know, his, both of his parents are gone now, but in a way to show, kind of show that he still really loves them and thinks about them and empathizes with them, and that's what a lot of his movies, some of his best movies, have been about. And, and I hope I'm wrong, Nick, but I can already, like, see your Facebook post on this movie after you see it. And I get, I can see you very easily saying this movie is complete bullshit except for the last five minutes. Okay. <laughs> I hope well, I'm I, wrong. Okay. All right. I, I'm, I, that's a, that's, I, I would say that's probably a distinct possibility considering. <laughs> considering <laughs> it's you. <laughs> considering it's me and considering, you know, how I, go, how I, I run hot and cold on, on Spielberg. Uh, yes, exactly. So, yeah. All but right, it's well, better than Belfast. 
It's well, shit. So is a <laughs> yeah. So, there are a lot of things better than Belfast. I know. I'm just trying uh, to give you some hope. No, here. okay, I got you. All right, cool. All right, well, there you go. Uh, a lot of those movies will be coming out, and uh, you have been uh, posting. Are you are you going to be uh, uh, doing a podcast? Uh, yeah, all? I'm going to be doing more. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to be doing a podcast talking about a number of the movies that I saw, and I'm working okay. on that hopefully for sometime next week. Great. Okay. Well, people will get more details on that, but uh, yeah. Uh, overall, uh, uh, the majority of the movies that you saw were good. Is that correct? Uh, I would say it's again, the, the, the film festivals are back. I was like half and half. Half and, and half. that's, that's okay. exactly, exactly what I come to expect uh, going, right. to, going to these festivals. All right. Well, there you go. Okay. Uh, for uh, folks who have the Amazon Prime and for folks who want to actually get out to the theater, um, uh, very quickly, let's because I'm going to watch it later on uh, uh, tonight. I'm looking forward to it. It's the latest in the, uh, in the Fletch movies. Um, uh, confess Fletch, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, John Hamm has taken over the role that Chevy Chase made famous, but it, he didn't really make it famous because the books are famous. Um, and so, uh, Eric, why don't you tell us about Confess Fletch? I have not seen it yet, but you and Steve have, so you guys can handle it. Eric, tell us about it. Yeah, so this is, I guess, I guess is one of the later books in the, the Fletch series. Uh, it doesn't really have anything specifically in common with the Chevy Chase movies other than just the character, of course. Uh, John Hamm plays uh, Erwin Fletcher, uh, who has retired from the uh, newspaper business, and he basically works at, he's he's in Italy working on uh, this book about uh, art and art history, and uh, he's also having uh, a love affair with uh, a local woman played by, a very rich local woman played by Lorenza Izzo, and when her father is kidnapped, uh, a ransom is called for for this a uh, very specific painting that uh, him and the family owned, uh, but that fit particular painting has come up stolen. Uh, so Fletch actually comes back to the States and in an apartment or a flat that he's renting uh, actually from uh, the, the woman that he's been seeing, uh, he comes home to a dead body. A uh, dead woman is in there and he then becomes a prime suspect uh, with a, a couple of local detectives, one of them played by Roy Wood Jr., uh, so he's trying to solve the mystery of this painting that's been missing, the kidnapping, this dead body that's in his house, uh, and basically gets himself into the old habits of adopting monikers and interviewing people, uh, trying to figure, trying to piece this all together. And it, you know, it has the the flavor. Uh, I haven't read all the Fletch books. I've read I've read a couple. Uh, the but you know the Chevy Chase movie. Chevy Chase really sort of made that character his own. And it's really kind of hard to disassociate yourself from his portrayal of that. So it takes a little time to warm up to what uh, John Hamm is doing because it's a little more low key, but the writing is still there. So uh, the, the, the sarcastic asides and things that he's doing throughout the movie, uh, you can absolutely, when you're watching it, see Chevy Chase still do, pulling off these lines and sure. doing it. So it's kind of sure. hard to disassociate between the two. But I think Ham does, does a pretty uh, admirable job. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty great cast, including uh, Kyle MacLachlan, uh, Marsha Gay Harden, uh, John Slattery from Mad Men shows up as Frank, the Richard Libertini uh, character that uh, was his editor uh... back in the paper. Yeah, makes me now that uh, just makes me sad because I love Richard Libertini. Right. Yeah, and and just seeing but seeing Ham and Slattery together is a lot of fun in their. Oh sure, scenes. of course, sure. Yeah, um, yeah. and Annie Mumolo shows up for a couple scenes, <laughs> and she has one 
incredibly <laughs> hilarious scene with Ham that is a real highlight, maybe the funniest scene in the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, and I was I was aboard for the movie for uh, most of the way, but ultimately the the mystery is the thing that I think it kind of uh, get flattens the film a bit. Uh, there's there's a lot going on. It's not quite as polished as the mystery was in back in 1985 with the original film. And uh, in this one, by the time it's kind of all pieced together, you have all these strands coming together. There's actually one scene where all the suspects end up showing up at uh, Fletch's house at one point, and you think the mystery is going to be solved there, but it keeps going. And then it actually has to end, the, the climax movie actually ends with a, like an explanation of everything that happened that's longer than the ending of Psycho. Mm. And it's it just it, it just kind of collapses under the weight of that a little bit. So I'm kind of a it's a close call for me. Uh, I did laugh a lot during the movie. I, I think it is enjoyable. It's a breezy watch, uh, but it's, it is kind of a a, a a bit of a miss. How much of how life. much of Matolo is in this? I mean, that's that's one of the <sighs> one of the main reasons that I, I'm so excited about is because I love. Yeah, I can't really tell honestly because okay. I think it, it's so. That's dependent. not good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's so dependent. <laughs> on the, the the source material and everything that I think yeah, is just yeah, trying yeah. to be as faithful to that as possible. So I think Matola is just kind of like, well, we're that's, just making a Fletch movie. That's too bad because there's a lot of Michael Ritchie in Fletch. You know what I mean? Certainly. Uh, so yeah. anyway, okay. All right, uh, Steve, what did you think of uh, Confess Fletch? I, I love it. I mean, I loved it. I, I was laughing out loud for most of this movie. And uh, granted, there are three mysteries going on here. Um, and honestly, I don't think any of them matter as much as just the character work. And I'm not just talking about the Fletch character. I mean, every supporting character in this movie, I knew something about, like significant about, like an actual character development thing about these people by the end of this movie. And, and that includes the cops, that includes the girlfriend, that includes like the girlfriend's crazy mother-in-law who's played really wonderfully by Mar Marsha Gay Harden. Um, that's, that's where this film, I think, rises above, uh, maybe what was done in the original film, which is that it really does give us characters, uh, with depth. And, and of course, like the Fletch character is the most, yeah. most in depth and Greg Vitolo and John Hamm love these books so much that they tried to really do right by them, I think. And I think they do because these things, the, this movie is very funny and and i you know i i'm not i'm not comparing them to what chevy chase did i'm this is this is not trying to be that there, there's no aping those those movies at all um uh it, it's 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 about the books for these guys and yeah. uh I, and i think that that's the most important thing because those books are strong so um so yeah i i think it's i think it's a joy and i and in the mystery the mystery is kind of losing their steam, you know, a halfway or three quarters of the way through didn't bother me because I was so wrapped up in these characters. I didn't, it didn't matter. And the mystery is yeah. not that hard to follow or figure out for in most, for the most part. So okay. anyway, right. I, I thought it was great. Confess Fletch in theaters, in a few theaters, but also uh, streaming uh, uh, right now on uh, Amazon prime. So there you go. All right, uh, Steve, uh, let's talk about, uh, tell everybody about the woman King. Yes. Uh, so without without even realizing it, I've actually really come to love the works of the filmmaker named Gina Prince Blythewood, who did like Love and Basketball and Beyond the Lights and even her most recent thing, The Old Guard. Um, 
but nothing quite prepared me for her latest work, this visceral, raw film called The Woman King, a really powerful, passionate, angry exercise in reclaiming one's identity and ending a belief system that allows even a king to think he is something like less than human just because he'd been brought up to think that way. Um, just, just for context, this is sort of set in the 1800s. It's still, slavery is still very much a thing. And um, this is sort of based on a real group of, of female warriors called the Agoji, who, if you're wondering if the Black Panther uh, Dora Milaje is based on something, look no further. This is who they're based on in real life. Um, there, there's nothing in this movie, though, that claims that this particular story is based in fact. Um, so don't get lost in like the historical thing. If you want to go see that, go find a documentary. But anyway, so so John Boyega plays this this king who is sort of challenged by those in his realm to sort of step up and stop the practice of turning over his people to slavery. And these female warriors are even willing to fight slave traders from, in the, in the case of this movie, they're from Portugal. Um, and they're not sure that the kingdom can survive if they stop doing this financially, but it's just something that they think he should do and they should stop like turning on his own people. So he's inclined to do that. Um, and so Viola Davis plays sort of the general of the of this of this group of women warriors, and uh, and and she she sort of has a whole story about how she became one of these warriors, and it's a it's like a really traumatizing backstory. Uh, there's a young a new young recruit named Nawi, uh, who's played by Thuso Madu. Uh, I'm gonna say I can't say this name. Uh, Mad I think it's Mabudu. Um, and her father kind of deposits her on the doorsteps of this kingdom. And rather than turn her over to the slave traders, they recruit her into this group. Um, there are other characters played by the likes of Sheila Atiro and Lashana Lynch, who I think plays my favorite character in this movie, uh, who are also members of this, of this warrior tribe. And um, they just kind of work to train Nawi. And, and there's a, there's this whole sequence set of about around this whole test. She has this final test she has to take. And it's, it's incredible. It's like such a physical film. Everyone in this movie is sweating all the time, not just because it's hot there. Um, so, so much of what makes the woman King stand out is this abundance of physicality. It's just rare to see characters uh, just push themselves to this, to the limits that these these people push themselves in this movie, and it's, um, and it's not just the women. I mean, like one of the villains, um, in this piece is like this slave selling general of a rival tribe, um, who's this like hulking figure who commands the room just by stepping into it, and he's kind of intent on taking down Boyega's character and the whole tribe that he represents and profiting mightily off selling them to the slave traders. So they have to fight him as well as the traders. Um, it's, this is an extraordinary film. And I, you know, and, and Gina Prince Blythewood is just killing it right now with this movie. And I, I was, I don't know what I was expecting going into this, but I was not expecting a movie quite this ferocious. And um, it's, it's enjoyable kind of getting caught up, in this palace intrigue, there's some of that as well, but I, I, but man, when it just gets to these action sequences, I've never seen fight sequences like choreographed this way. And they are like the highlights of the film. Um, and it's all kind of leading to, uh, uh, Viola Davis's character kind of getting elevated, 
in the in the community and but man i mean there's like this climactic battle between the uh the agoji and the slavers that is like one for the ages might be might be the one of the best action movies i've seen all year if not the best but uh i mean we're we're not what nine months into 2022 and i could easily see this movie cracking my top 10 so anyway that's terrific yeah i loved it too steve i thought it was great and i didn't know what to expect either um i really didn't um and what i got was a film that was everything that you say it is uh the action sequences are amazing the performances are very physical and very passionate this is a movie with a lot of passion and a lot of feeling and i know a lot of people uh without having seen it are bitching about it because the you know the characters in it are they're saying oh they're made out to be heroes when they're people in fact we're, we're, we're selling their own people into slavery. Uh-huh. Well, that's the whole fucking point of the movie. If, you know, people are bitching about it and they haven't seen it yet. Um, and that's the point of the movie. The movie is about change. The movie is about identity. The movie is about people a in lot. The movie are bitching about it too. So oh, that's the whole point. Yeah, movie, exactly. like, yeah, no, yeah, that's, abs- that's the whole, fo- it's the whole focal yeah. point of the movie. It's the whole moral standard that the movie goes by. Um, yeah. And it doesn't shy away from it. It dives into it. It makes you think about it, about the consequences of those kind of thoughts and those kind of actions. On the simplest of levels, it's beautifully made. It is incredibly exciting. Uh, I mean, every cast member in this movie is unbelievable. I mean, obviously, it goes without saying, Viola Davis is insane. Uh, Lashana Lynch is fucking amazing in this movie. Yeah. And like you, uh, Steve, she was my favorite <laughs> character. She was absolutely my favorite character in the movie. And there are a lot of young people who have not been in movies before or have, you know, have not seen a lot or not been done a lot um, in it. Um, but it is, it's powerful. It has a great message. It's hopeful. It's exciting. It's sad. It covers all that stuff. It's, it, it, it's not like it's... The, you know, the kind of themes and the kind of stuff in this movie has not been seen before, but it's done with such energy and mm-hmm. passion uh, that it just explodes off the screen. And I do want to mention this. Every single major crew member, with the exception of Terrence Blanchard uh, doing the score, is a woman on this movie. Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. single one of them, production design, editing, cinematography, every single major crew person is female with the exception of Terrence Blanchard, who did the score, and the score is amazing, <laughs> I should mm-hmm. say. Um, and so that says a lot. There was a, there was a lot of passion behind that. And that actually feeds into how, how much fun this movie is and how much passion there is in this movie. Like, she went out of her way. Uh, Gina Prince, uh, Bidewood did, went out of her way to, to, uh, to, to hire nothing but women in all of the major roles uh, behind the camera and in front of the camera in the movie. And, 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 and as a result, there's an honest, true, exciting passion to every frame of this movie. I thought it was terrific. And, I, and, and like you, Steve, I was blown away. I was so surprised by how great it was. I did not mm-hmm. expect it to be that good. So highly recommended. Eric, I can't wait till you see it. I'm really interested <laughs> in how you feel. I'm, I'm seeing it shortly. Yeah, it's terrific. All right, uh, Eric, uh, let's jump into, we can do this one kind of quickly, even though all three of us have seen it. Eric, mm. Clerks yes. 3. Clerks 3 is the third and final of the uh, chapter in the, what I guess he calls now the New Jersey trilogy. Um, but it's Clerks 3, <laughs> Kevin Smith's uh, latest uh, in the series of Clerks movies. Uh, mm. and, I, and I do want to separate the Clerks movies from the, J- the Silent Bob and Jay movies. Because that I think that's yes. A, there's a distinct difference between <laughs> those two series of movies. Uh, in, in my in my in my opinion, there's a distinct difference not only in in in, in the the style of the movies, but the quality. And that's just me. But anyway, uh, so Eric Clerks three. 
Yes. Okay. So Clerks 3 uh, set, I, I guess, in modern day. Uh, so obviously after the events of uh, Clerks 2, which is several years now since we last saw. Oh, no, it's, the, it uh, takes place. It takes place now. It's, it takes place now. Right. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah, so there's, you know, close to the last time we saw uh, Randall and Dante, they had actually uh, left the uh, the movie store, uh, the movie the cow st- uh, restaurant where they worked, and actually uh, bought the uh, Quick Stop uh, convenience store, and uh, it seemed like that was going to be their fate, and clearly that's where they continue to still be. Uh, so Clerks Three uh, begins with the scene exactly where these characters are after so much time. And uh, Randall uh, actually ends up having a heart attack, uh, which is something that uh, Kevin Smith uh, sort of infamously uh, relates to uh, just from a few years ago. Uh, And when uh, Randall realizes that he seems to have done nothing with his life, uh, which is kind of the point of Clerks 2, that he wakes up when he gets out of the hospital, decides he is actually going to make a movie about his life, specifically his time at the Quick Stop. So what then transpires is him uh, writing a screenplay and basically recreating the original movie. Uh, so we, we sit there and we watch them uh, film uh, familiar scenes from the original film. And uh, this, of course, Jay and Silent Bob uh, are a part of the story. Uh, as well as now uh, Elias uh, from Clerks 2, Trevor Furman's character, uh, who is there working as part of the the crew. And uh, a number of people from the original film begin to make cameos throughout the story, uh, which is kind of nice to see. and uh, the, the sort of the big one of the other big emotional beats of the film is that uh, Rosario Dawson character, who uh, Dante had fallen in love with in Clerks Two, uh, is no longer with us. She was the victim of a drunk driver, so this is a, a grief that uh, he is carrying along with him, and the the grief between him and what's personally going on with uh, Randall. Uh, clash uh as they, they they tend to do in every movie eventually and you know i mean the the germ of the idea of kevin smith going back and nostalgically recreating the film that put him on the map and using his signature uh initial signature characters to do that the, the germ of the idea is a good one uh i just think that the execution with the way that he goes about doing this uh, is completely mishandled and misguided. Uh, for one, the the humor that has you know we, we've come to associate Kevin Smith with over the years uh, is just not quite as sharp as it once was. It seems like he has taken a lot of the personal stuff that really made a lot of the mixture of the pop culture stuff. Uh, so true so many years ago and now it just seems to be rattling off the pop culture stuff and hoping to get a laugh by adding a few dirty stuff uh, within it and when, when this film tries to hit these emotional beats throughout the story particularly with the Rosario Dawson story uh, I, I think they, they come off as so incredibly false and phony uh, it doesn't help the fact that Brian O'Halloran has not improved his acting skills <laughs> over the years. In fact, he actually seems to have digressed with this because Smith is making him put a lot of that uh, on his shoulders and it really does not work at all. And if, the, if this film had been a, had, a, had a little bit more self-awareness and a little more 
a real sort of nostalgia and appreciation for what Smith had pulled off in the original movie. It sounds weird me saying that, but when you have Dante watching part of the finished product at the end, and we're one, we're not watching the recreation anymore. Now we're just watching the original movie all over again. And Dante's sitting there and commenting that this is the greatest movie he's ever seen. I, I just like, like Kevin, come on already. And it, it's it's really been unfortunate watching the decline of Kevin Smith's work over the years because I think that the first half of his career before he discovered weed uh, is actually a pretty solid group of comedies, both silly and serious and heartfelt. And everything that he's done, with the exception, I think, of Red State, since uh, Zack and Mary Make a Porno, uh, have been incredibly, have, have been either bad or terrible. And this one actually falls into the bad category, and it made me sad, because Clerks 2, I've said for years, I have actually think is his best movie. And I still consider it to be one, one of his top films, and this seems like such a digression, and it just it made me sad that I just I wasn't laughing. And when he tried to pull off the uh, emotional stuff, it really just came off as way too phony for me. So I could not get on board with this one. Okay, Steve. Uh, yeah, it's it's there are points in this film that were like legitimately cringeworthy for me, and it is because it is emotionally dishonest. I would love to see a film about how having a heart attack changed Kevin Smith's life. This ain't that movie, uh, despite them basically going through the exact same series of events that he went through uh, during the heart attack. But and you're right. And you're right. O'Halloran is, is is not a great actor, but he doesn't need to be for these movies. But there are some moments here where he little Jimmy has to break down and cry. And I, I had to look away. I'm like, this is like embarrassing to watch. Like the guy. I, I was having like real trouble with that, but I mean, this was never a movie about acting. I understand that these, the series is not about the acting, but come on, like don't throw it in my face like that. But the, so once they, to me, I was basically with it until they started shooting the movie um, until they start recreating Clark's and there's no insight. There's no, like, I mean, we're just supposed to laugh because we recognize it. And I guess for those people who are like, really familiar with clerks and know all the like the beats and know all the jokes uh memorize them after like watching it over and over again and i'm i'm one of those people um i guess that's passes for humor in this i don't know it it didn't make me laugh recognition is not necessarily funny if you're not going to add something to it and and i don't think he adds anything to it um it's it, it like i i I, I think he wanted to make like a post heart attack remembrance piece and clerks three could have dug a lot deeper into like what making this movie meant to him. But instead it's just like watching a clip, a clip reel of the, I mean, it literally becomes a clip reel at a certain point. We are like Eric said, we're watching clips from the original movie and it's jarring because we've just seen them shoot them with these older versions of these people. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, now that being said, I'm still a little curious as to whether mall rats do ever happens. But uh, <laughs> aside from aside from that, uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a hard pass for me. Yeah. Uh, okay. Fuck both of you. Um, <laughs> right. Okay. Um, uh, so here's the thing: everything you said, I can understand. I don't necessarily agree with some of which I do agree with. Some of which I do agree with. Um, 
But overall, the effect that this movie had on me uh, uh, really doesn't have anything to do. Really doesn't have anything to do, kind of, with the quality of it. Um, uh, I, I had a, I had an incredible experience watching this movie last night. I did, um, and uh, I'm not going to go into I'm not going to go into detail about it. But it, personally, it was a it was a it was an interesting thing to watch from where I am in my life right now. What's happening to me personally? So that's unfair as a film critic to bring that in. So I'm re- I'm reviewing this as just Nick the guy. and as like a guy who has a connection to clerks uh creatively and as a guy who has gone through some shit in his life in the past few years that's similar kind of to what smith went through um i was moved by a lot of this stuff uh o'halloran not the greatest actor in the world but i was not taken out of it i didn't think he was terrible and i was moved by those scenes um i thought it was Laugh out loud, funny. I let the the audition scenes are fucking hilarious. Uh, in my opinion, I thought the audition sequences were great. I thought the stuff where they recreated the the film was funny, um, and uh, and I personally thought it was very gratifying. And I thought that, you know, the voiceover that Kevin Smith does during the during the final uh, credits at the end, I thought that was really sweet and really nice. Um, and yes, uh, technically, he's never made a great movie. Technically. You know what I mean? Like he's not known as a great technical filmmaker. He's not, and he's never been. I mean, the, I think the best movie he's ever made, and I don't think he'll ever make a movie as good as Chasing Amy ever, um, both technically and in terms of writing. Um, but he's, his strong suit is not like how he uses the camera and how he cuts and how he frames and how he makes movies. That's not at all what his talent is. Um, and, and by the way, uh, Eric, uh, I, I believe he was smoking pot since the beginning of his career, but that's... <laughs> no, he actually said that he never smoked any pot until he met Seth Rogen. Really? Okay. Yes. I find that hard to believe, but uh, no. but anyway, uh, but no. And I thought I just I, here's the thing. Um, everything you guys said legit makes sense, and I can see why this movie's getting torn a new asshole. I can totally understand that. But I don't give a shit. I had a good time. It worked for me at this time in my life as a fan of the first two Clerks movies, and in a personal way, I liked it. But having said that. You guys have valid points. You guys absolutely valid points. So. I'm, I'm not really anyway. Forward. But I don't give. A, I don't. But I don't. But you know what? I don't give a shit about your valid points. So that's all there is to it. There you go. All I'm right, really uh, looking forward to that Fableman's review now. Yeah. Okay. Every time, every time Nick Nick speaks from the heart, I'm just going to call it Nick the guy. Yeah. 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 There you <laughs> go. Nick, that review is from Nick the guy. That's right. D apostrophe right. guy. Let's. We, we're running a little bit out of time, and it's, and and for my money, we're we're about to talk about the best movie of the week. So Steve, uh, please. Please tell us, if you can, kind of briefly, the plot line for Pearl. Yeah, I mean, this is it's rare that a sequel is better than the original, but it's even rarer, I think, when a prequel is better than the original. <laughs> and so, But here we are with Ty West Pearl. Uh, it's an origin story of sorts about the elderly woman character from his other 2022 film X, in which Mia Goth, uh, who also co-wrote Pearl with West, plays Maxine. Uh, that, that's in, the, in, the, in X. Um, and then Pearl is the sort of old lady who causes a lot of trouble for the, for the young people making, <laughs> making porn. Causes a lot of, she causes yeah. a lot of trouble. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and there's an alligator and everything. But anyway, so, so this time Gotham West, uh, took that sort of moment to, to, to write this very quickly and shoot it very quickly on the same property. Uh, it's set during the Spanish flu pandemic, uh, which, 
you know, you didn't have to convince people to wear a mask back then, I guess. But it's so, but yeah, and I, and they don't really do anything with that other than there's some jokes about masks and stuff that are kind of funny. But yeah, this, so this is about how that old woman from X is now a young woman, also played by Mia Goth, living on the same farm. She's got a barely communicative, infirmed father and a restrictive, devout mother named Ruth, played by Tandy Wright, who's phenomenal in this, um, who regularly dishes out punishments for Pearl for bad behavior. And um, Pearl is actually married. Her husband is off fighting in World War One, But so she is lonely. She is desperate to get off this farm. And more than anything, and so let's see if this sounds familiar, she wants to be really famous, just like the people she sees in the silent films uh, that play in town. And so, um, you know, she befriends the, the projectionist in the theater who kind of takes advantage of her. Uh, there's a, an audition opportunity for her to join a dance troupe that she just throws her heart into and and with quite horrific results. Well, the result in the film is great, but for her, it's bad. And then um, and I will say this, I'll, 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 I'll just wrap up by saying Goth has a series of like three scenes at the end of this movie. One is the audition. One is a monologue. And then one is during the end credits, believe it or not that are some of the best acting I know I'm going to see all year. And they're right in a row. And, and it just floored me. Each like one topped the one before. Um, and it's, it's not a traditional horror film, although there is certainly death. And toward the end, it's more of a psychological thriller uh, than X was more like a slasher film. Um, so it's a very different vibe. And yet it hits on a lot of the same themes about desperation to be famous and mental illness and just loneliness and how what like how that infects a person and makes them and warps them. Um, I, I think there's a real opportunity to show us what happens between the end of this movie and the beginning of X. But apparently they're going in the other direction with the next film yeah. and showing us going back to Maxine and showing her uh, porn career in the 80s, which is fine. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, I, I, I thought this movie was like I said, even better than X, it's phenomenal. Mia Goth is is going to be like my new favorite actress and all I'm going to care about for the next 10 years is what she's doing next. And, uh, but yeah, like it, it's incredibly effect, uh, effective, flawlessly acted, and it works both as a standalone piece and a part of this whole. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's one of the, it might be one of the better horror experiences I've had this year. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. And I, I, I just I'm trying to figure out whether or not. And I asked this of you, Steve, after I saw it. Mm. I was like, should I just put X and Pearl together when I make my top 10 list and have them I as one, like, one movie? Because you know, at first I said yes, but then I thought, <laughs> but this is better. So maybe. Not. Well, I don't know. It's, but I, it's, <laughs> they're both clearly going to be in my on my list at the end of the yeah. year. And, and Ty West is the shit. He's the man. There's just <laughs> I, he is unbelievable. I love his work. This is completely stylistically different than X. Um, yeah. and yet it works on so many levels. And as you mentioned, Steve, it covers a lot of the same themes and a lot of the same territory, but does it in a stylistically completely different way. It's a lot, the cinematography is a lot brighter. It's a lot more cheerily shot. Um, mm -hmm. even, even, um, a, a pig, uh, full of maggots is beautifully shot, uh, in this movie. <laughs> uh, and, and it, the tone of it is kind of, it's, it's, it's very romantic, and, yeah. and, and sort of idealistically beautiful as seen through the eyes of this character, Pearl. Um, and yet it's horrific and terrifying and suspenseful. Uh, and it's also, uh, at times, very funny. Um, 
Uh, but not, I think, because I think X is a much funnier movie, personally, because I think there, there are stretches of X that are hilarious. Um, and yet it works as a slasher movie, whereas this one works more as a, a, as a character piece and as a mood piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it does have, you know, it does have your quality kills that you, that you want, that you expect mm-hmm. from this kind of thing. Um, and it has, uh, you know, th- the kind of things that you've seen in other movies, like the person trapped in this house and the infirmed wheelchair, uh, bound father and the strict mother. I mean, it brings to mind other movies, you know, Carrie obviously popped into mind a lot mm-hmm. while I was watching this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it's, and it's all, it's all been kind of done before, but not in the, potent stylistic way that Ty West does it. And he's got balls the size of church bells. This guy does uh, to, in the way he makes movies. And I've loved everything. I've, I think I've loved every single thing this guy's directed. Um, and this one is way near the top uh, of what he's done. And the main reason why this movie works as incredibly well as it does is because of Mia Goth. She's unbelievable in this movie. And I've loved her in everything. I've loved her back since the, uh, the wellness movie, uh, mm-hmm. the, Gorvidal, uh, Gorvidal, <laughs> Gorver, Gorverbinsky, <laughs> Gorvidal, yeah. Gor- <laughs> it was a very liberal movie. He made a very liberal movie back in the day. No, uh-huh. Gorverbinsky. Um, I liked it. I liked her in that. I loved her in Suspiria. I've loved her. I just mm-hmm. love her. I think she's a weirdo. She put up with Shia LaBeouf as a husband for a while, um, <laughs> which you know she deserves a goddamn award for. But she's unbelievable and always has been. She's great in X. But her work in this movie. It's Oscar worthy. I mean, there's not a chance in hell that she would even get remotely even thought of for a nomination. But outside of um, outside of uh, Andrea Riceborough in To Leslie, it's the best goddamn performance by an actress I've seen all year. It is Mm -hmm. absolutely. And you mentioned those three back to back to back. That monologue alone. It's like, yeah, all Ty West did was I'm going to put the camera here. Go. And it's unbelievable. So, and you find yourself as crazy as the movie is and as kind of stylistically kind of over the top as it is, uh, capturing the mood and the time in kind of a pushed over the top kind of way. You are grounded in emotion in this movie. I was moved Mm -hmm. deeply by this movie and it's all because of her. Like the movie has no right being emotional. You know what I mean? Like I should have not been moved deeply by this movie. But but I was, and that final yeah. shot during the credits, stay and watch every moment of that. <laughs> Just stay and what Eric, I'm telling you, okay. when the credits start to roll, do not move out of your seat until it fades to black because it's magnificent. So I... The whole credits? The, well, it fades out at one point, but, it, but okay. during, during the final credits. But you sit there and just watch. That's all, all I'm right. saying. Okay. Uh, Mia Goth extraordinary one of the greatest performances i've seen all year easily a terrific horror movie a great a mood piece more amazing work from ty west and, and i hope he makes 27 movies in the x universe <laughs> i really do i don't care because um, yeah. i because both both of these movies are great and they're great for, in different ways and for different reasons but i i, I will say this, this i will movie. say this about about her monologue is that i'm assuming she probably she, wrote that well, no, without question and, without question and, and and but there is an awareness it is literally that moment where a person who's about to go really bad realizes something is deeply wrong inside of them and yes. recognizes it and yes listen don't just pay attention to the performance but listen to what yes. she is saying because you never get a moment like that in a horror movie i'm telling you right movie, now steve you i'm, I'm so unreal. glad you mentioned it i'm so glad you mentioned that yeah. because it is this moment where it's like oh i know something's going on and the person who's who's sitting in the room with her that cut to her 
you, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, the cut to her. First of all, nobody laughed in the in the screening room, which they shouldn't have, no. because you go, Ugh. you know, and it's and you know what you know what it reminded me of, Stephen. I'm glad you brought this up because it totally yeah. reminded me of the one scene in Taxi Driver, the most heartbreaking, terrifying moment in Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. is when Travis tries to talk to the wizard, Peter Boyle, where he says to the wizard, "Man, I don't know." I got some weird stuff going on in my head. And the wizard's like, ah, go get drunk. Go get let. You know what I mean? Like this guy was supposed to. It reminded me of that moment. Like here's this moment where Travis Bickle is like all of this crazy shit he's been doing. And at this one moment is where he's like, "Uh uh-oh, maybe something's wrong with me. And that's exactly what happens in the monologue. You're absolutely Mm -hmm. right, man. It's it's a great film. I loved it. I loved Pearl. You guys are showing it at uh, Music Box, correct? We are showing in Music Box, yes. Okay, cool. It'll be, sure. it'll, be, it'll be in other theaters, and you can also see it at the Music Box. Eric, you got to text me after you see it. Uh, you I will. So, yep. Mia, in other words, Mia Goth rules the planet. Okay. <laughs> uh, the next time we speak, uh, what, do we, what do we got? Is it... Uh, Smile. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, Very yeah. excited about that one. And I guess we'll, 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 we can probably cover the, uh, the, the, uh, the goddamn uh, Olivia Wilde thing, too. That yeah. Bros comes out. Bros, bros comes out, out that, that week. Bros. Oh yeah, Bros comes yeah. out that week too. So oh, okay. And yeah. a little movie by Walter Hill. Oh comes yes. Out that week. <laughs> That's right. Oh, which Hill. I just got a link for actually. Ah, yes. Okay. I'm excited about that. Very cool. Okay. Well, we uh-huh. we will have seen it by then. Hopefully, it's good. Yeah. All right, uh, Steve. Uh, you guys, Eric. Thank you, and Eric. Thank you for the report on uh, Toronto. Of People get a more extensive uh, look at the Toronto Film Festival on an upcoming podcast for uh, yes. Eric. All right, guys. Thank you very much, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Sounds Thanks. good. See, See you it. later. All right, there you go. Eric Childress, Steve Procopi, movies. Go see Pearl. It's actually lots of good movies this week. Uh, I like Clerks 3. Pearl is one of the best movies of the year, and The Woman King is great. Solid stuff this week. Good week. Speaking of solid, speaking of good, speaking of awesome, Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esma. I'm talking about that Esma. Yeah. All right. That's right. Esmeralda. Esmeralda Leon. Uh, every time we hear that theme, we know it's time to hang out with Esmeralda. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I am doing good. Oh, How are man. you? You know, I'm all right. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, always great to talk to you. Uh, we had a little fun with the uh, Esma. Well, with this Esma Olas Law Firm, a real thing now that we're doing. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's real. It's not fake at all. It's not a fake law firm at all. Mind uh, you, I have no uh, law lawyer law. <laughs> you're not accredited. Law background. Not accredited <laughs> in any way. Yeah, except you, uh, Law and Order. Except you watch Law and Order, but yep. uh, speaking of which, like everyone way, else, <laughs> did you did well, you mention this? Did you happen to see last week tonight? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I saw Fucking part of it. So great! I mean, he just yeah. he was so great the whole episode. He he didn't tear apart Law and Order, but he made fun of it and just kind of like people who take it way too seriously are like, you might want to take a look at just how accurate this show is. Yeah, he's not wrong though. No, like, he's no, he's no. You know the fact that we all kind of. <laughs> 
we've watched it for so long. Yeah. And we do base some of our law expertise on that. I yeah. base all of mine on that. So there, there you, you go. go. There you go. <laughs> Well, it's funny because, uh, you know, like in that he was he was kind of like picking it apart, like, you know, like how it's inaccurate, how it's kind of bullshit, how it's uh, very, very sort of very, very white leaning in terms of Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. terms of what it does. And yet I was like, okay, well, I I was hoping that at some point he would go now if you want to see an actual like accurate and as accurate as you can possibly get on on cable television then you should let's talk about the fucking wire because that's mm-hmm. the, that's the deal you know <laughs> and i'm surprised that he didn't say you know but i guess because he really i mean you know maybe because it's an hbo show and he and he has a tendency to like trash hbo maybe <laughs> yeah maybe that and also that's more um police procedural because yeah. i mean it Law is, and Order yeah. is police, but it's it's a lot of the lawyer bit. Well, yeah, too, the fir- being the fir- in court. The first half is law; the second half is order. Yes, that's, there that's you all. Go. They they set cops first half, courtroom second half. At least that's how it's set up in most of them. And I know that SVU mm-hmm. uh, or SUV or whatever the yeah they drive around in a in a big vehicle and solve crimes. That's the uh, the SUV uh, uh, version. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but yeah, so, so the law that, you know, comes directly from now, is it a specific law and order? Is it criminal intent? Is it, uh, um, it's mainly SVU and the original, the original. That's okay. It. Cause criminal intent. Now, if it was criminal intent, then that Edward, one's, that one's a lot. You would have to just tilt your head a lot because that's what, yeah, that's, that, that was D'Onofrio's thing. Like, he, yeah, that was a lot of like psychology and stuff. Yeah. D'Onofrio. I'm nope. I'm out. Do you remember at the at the height? I don't know if you remember this, but at the height of the popularity of Criminal Intent, Vincent D'Onofrio was apparently a terror to deal with. Like I a, could imagine he, if he's trying to like method act for that oh, he's because a, he he's seemed a method in, dude. He's a method. He dude. seemed quite off the rails on that show, just he in did. general. He like did that character. And just, like the the amount of times he would tilt his head, you knew you were in trouble if D'Onofrio tilted his head. That was like, oh mm-hmm. shit, oh shit. <laughs> so anyway. All right, well, but we still, it's still... It's my oldest law firm. You got weird laws in your state or your, your county or your city, we will take care of it, and you can uh, mm-hmm. leave your problems at the, uh, uh, at the Esma Olis Law Firm hotline, 773-417-6948. So uh, there you go. Uh, uh-oh. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I Hi, love Nick's show. Hi, Hi I'm Carrie Russell, Hi. and I love <laughs> Nick's show. All right. Somebody um, uh, on the uh, the last uh, episode, someone uh, had sent in an email asking, you know, uh, what's the origin of that of that mm. clip? And mm-hmm. I explained what it was, and it was years ago, many many years ago. Um, Carrie Russell was in town to light the Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at uh, Daily Center and uh, so she came in to do like a publicity tour and she was on Spike's show Spike O'Dell and uh, I could not come down there um, because my, 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 my buddy my, my, my buddy uh, hey listen Joe passed away um, oh. and I couldn't go uh, he, passed right. away on, he passed away on Thanksgiving um, oh and my I, goodness! And, and I couldn't go down to the studio to meet Carrie Russell. I was planning on going down. And I didn't go down to the studio mm-hmm. because you know one of my fucking best friends died, right? Um, and that so I didn't go down to the studio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it does. Uh, <laughs> even Joe, but Joe would have went. That's all right, man. I know you love her. Go ahead, dude. He would have been fine. 
Hey, it's fucking Carrie Russell. Forget about me. I'm fine. Hey, it's Carrie Russell, man. I understand. Fuck me. Go to see Carrie Russell. I would. I would. He would have said that. But anyway, so I couldn't make it down there. So Spike knew, you know, how much I loved her, and Spike was like, "Hey, can you just like cut a little message here to my friend Nick?" So that's how it happened. Nice. Yeah, good old Spike. Yeah, back when that radio station meant something. Okay. Um. So, uh, God oh. damn it, Nick. Yeah, yeah, that's right. All right. And then we, of course, I'll we have give news. you asthma. That's right. Okay. So, um, we were talking about the law stuff and we get, we're going to get into a little bit more of that uh, some other time, but I came across a couple of articles about, um, terrible songs. Now, are there songs that you like really quickly before we dive into this? Are there songs that you have guilty? I mean, uh, I think you are, are of the same mindset that I am, as that I never feel guilty about things that I like. Yeah, like, I don't. I don't care. Yeah, I, you know. No, exactly. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Nothing's a guilty pleasure to me, right? Like, Music-wise, at least. And mu- and movies and TV. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like I don't feel guilty. But in the generic terms of things, certain things that we like, whether we want mm-hmm. to admit it or not, do fall under the category of guilty pleasures. You know, yes. Like my obsession with Big Brother. That's a guilty pleasure. I would imagine. I don't <laughs> yeah. uh, of course I don't feel guilt. I like fuck you if you don't you don't you know it's I don't feel I feel absolutely no guilt for liking like Big Brother and watching it three times a week and watching the live feeds. I feel no guilt. <laughs> I feel yeah. no guilt whatsoever. But you know what I mean. It falls under that umbrella. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, are there any songs? Despite the fact we have to put aside the fact that we don't feel guilt, are there any songs over the years that you think, man, I guess that's a guilty pleasure? Are there songs I that mean, most people go, "What the yeah. fuck is wrong"? Okay, give me give me a few <laughs> give me a few examples before we dive. Uh, we're going to be talking oh about God. some of so we're going to be talking about basically here. We're going to be talking about some of the worst songs that any human being has ever written, recorded, and released, and yet they sold millions. So terrible songs that have sold millions of copies is what we're going to jump into. But I wanted to get a couple of guilty pleasures from you or uh, Esmeralda. Um, oh man. Um Do you like the Macarena? Yeah. Okay, that's <laughs> I had a whole I bought a whole tape when that came out. I was um well when it came out and and it still kept like being popular. I was in Cancun and I remember I had just a buttload of coins. Um and to spend them, I bought a tape of the Macarena with, like, I don't know how many remixes. Oh, yeah. Of the Macarena. It was an A, B tape, you know, two-sided yeah. tape, remixes of just the one Well, they song. had, from what I understand, they <laughs> had, I can't even remember who the artist was. Because obviously this, is a, this also falls under the category uh, of one-hit wonder. Their one-hit name... Wonder. Well, okay, so it's the two the dudes, right? Like two middle-aged guys, right? Yes. Um, their name was uh, Los del Rio. That's it. They were okay. Spanish, I believe. Yeah. Um, but then I think they did like a remixed, like someone else put it out, but still with them. Uh, the Bayside Boys. The Bayside Boys remix is the one that you usually hear. Mm. Okay. And I think it's because they added that like woman singing, that little like she's talking and stuff, yeah. and like like that's all them. Well, um, I remember but the original dudes is Los del Rio, and those those give us the only hit they ever had, and they were like two dudes in their late fifties. It looked like yeah, 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 uh, wearing suits <laughs> in the video. But I I remember 
that that song I got the first time I got married to, to my first wife. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we got married at a, at the height of the popularity of the of the Macarena. We got married in September. Okay. Of yeah. Ni- 1996. We got married September of 1996, and it was the height of the Macarena. And I remember telling our DJ before the reception, I said, if you play the Macarena, I will fucking kill you and you will not be paid. Wow. <laughs> so he did not play the Macarena. Wow. He did play the chicken dance, Dang. which was which was fantastic. <laughs> of course. Um, because, I mean, it was weird because we, I, you know, uh, my, my ex-wife, my first wife, Wendy, was an actress and um, she was in this play called White Trash Wedding and a Funeral that I directed. Mm-hmm. And a ton of the people who were in that show from the Factory Theater were at the reception. And the chicken dance plays an integral part to the plot of White Trash Wedding. Nice. So when we played the chicken dance and everybody went out like in character. You know what I mean? Like we had a blast with that. So we had to play the chicken dance. But no Macarena. Nice. And yeah. I warned him. No, I'm that like, completely makes sense. And, and, he, and he said, and at the end of the night, he goes, you have no idea how many people came up and requested the Macarena. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. How many people? So, oh no! Yeah, but, um, that was not, well, but, I would but say, again, you, you know, go back. Go back to September of 1996, Esmeralda. It was everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, I was. I'm telling you, I bought a whole tape of it. And you were 13, right? <laughs> Just in the one song. You were 13 yes. in 1996, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I was. Yeah, I loved that song. <laughs> Oh man, okay. And I still do. It's still pretty good. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, um I'm trying to think of guilty uh pleasure songs. I know I have I must have a million of them. I know, we get... well we do. It's just that because we don't categorize yeah. them in that way, we're just like, what? The song I like? <laughs> right. Right, right, right. I guess like, you know, um, it, should I be guilty about the fact that I, or should I, f- I mean, I don't feel guilt, but would my, my real like love of Huey Lewis in the news, would that fall under that category? Maybe a little bit, I guess. I mean, I feel like Huey Lewis in the news, like people will accept that you like hip to be square and, um, uh, what is it? Got a new drug. Want a new drug? But wait a minute. Yeah. I mean, what about Back in Time um, and Power of Love? I mean, they're both from Back to the Future. Right. You gotta love those. So those right? those are probably acceptable. But I I don't know. They they might have they might have a different like people might respect them more now. I'm not sure. I had yeah. a boyfriend in high school who loved Huey Lewis in the news, and I'm just like, how old are you? Like, like what the hell is happening? I'll and he just—he genuinely liked like all of Huey Lewis in the news, and I just never understood it. I was like, "What?" I'm with your ex-boyfriend, man. I'm just like, like, "You like more than those the hit songs?" No, like- <laughs> I love I love Huey, man. And you have to understand, Esmeralda, you were like one when Sports came out, and Sports was the biggest fucking album on earth when it came right. out. Right. Um, oh. So he was. What the hell happened there? <laughs> Yeah, all right. Was that Huey coming yeah. in to protest? Huey came in to be like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so I don't know. But we have here, I guess it's from Blender Magazine, which is like, you know, I guess a legit source, right? Of... Uh, no, that's not from Blender. It's not? No. Oh, okay. What do you, okay. I don't know. I'm looking at the thing you sent me. It's from... Uh, 
It says Waterloo. That's called Hard Noise. Hard Noise. Are we looking at the same? The 22 at- awful records? It's a no. millions? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. That's Go to a different one. That's albums. <laughs> There's, oh, we have more than one. <laughs> yeah, that's albums. The other one is songs. The, that, that one that you the 22 records, that's for albums that came out that inexplicably sold. But the other one above it, the link above it, is... Oh, okay. From, I believe, when you blow it up, because it's a, it's a list that you have to kind of blow up. Oh, okay. Okay? And oh, it's this is from like a Blender. database. Yeah, wow. but, if you, but if you blow it up, if you... <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. You can see the list, and it's from Blender. Okay, magazine. I see. Wow, Got they it? really. Wow, this this thing has like the beats per minute. It does. It has everything. <laughs> wow. It's it's very this very. Is like analytical. some nerd made this. <laughs> like it's real exact. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, oh, all right. Goodness. So let's let's take a look at this list and see. These are the, the, the according to Blender magazine, and they've analyzed this. As you said, a nerd got involved here. I time. mean, with the beats per minute over here, dang. Like, well, I'm really looking, and, and okay. you know what? One of the no, look at number six on the list. Yeah. So. The Heart of Rock and Roll by Huey Lewis is on this list as one of the f- 50 worst songs ever, according to Blender Magazine. Um, I like Heart of Rock and Roll. Well, I've already established that I like Huey Lewis. Right. You like Huey Lewis. Is, would, would Heart of Rock and Roll be a ch- would, would Would that, Esmeralda, for you, be the choice of the worst? No, you can't play them. Don't play them. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> yeah, don't. Wait, can you hear it? <laughs> I can hear it, yeah. So don't, oh. <laughs> I can't stop it now. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, wait. How did that get through? I don't know. Did you hit play? Did you hit the arrow? That's no, I did, what... but it, it all goes through my headphones. Well, I can hear it through your headphones. Oh, wow. It's yeah. that loud. It is that loud. So don't make sure you don't hit that. Oh, <laughs> Huey Lewis. We, we, like, legally can't play those songs. So, uh... Podcast, the podcast world, the right song rights in the world of podcasts. Well, that already <laughs> sounded terrible. <laughs> well, we didn't hear it. It was good. We didn't hear it. So unless we get direct permission from the artists themselves, it's well, very call like, up Huey Lewis. Well, that's how I had to have Suzanne. I had to actually ask Suzanne Vega. I was like, is it okay if I play? <laughs> I had to get her <laughs> when I interviewed Suzanne. <laughs> I interviewed Suzanne Vega. I was like, can I play the song? When I interviewed uh, Dog Julian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to ask Dog, "Can I play your song?" That's Did you the, have to like, get it in writing? Uh, no, I had it. It's recorded and it's verbal, ah, so that's ah, fine. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the the <laughs> the, the whole like playing uh, songs in the world of podcasts because there are so many podcasts and so many different platforms. Like each platform mm-hmm. has a different rule. You know what I mean? So it's best to just avoid it, right? Completely. So and my, my and my buddy Ed who runs Radio Misfits is very grateful that we didn't <laughs> we didn't play <laughs> harder rock. We can talk about harder rock and roll, but do you think there are worse Huey Lewis songs that should have been on this list? Hmm, I only know the hits. Yeah, so <laughs> he had a lot of them. I couldn't tell you uh, songs that I have if it, if it wasn't on the radio. I I don't know it. Okay. All right, well, he had a lot of hits. I will say that. Okay, well, let's. All right, what do you think of number one? Tell everyone what number one is on the list. Uh, number one is Starship. We built this city. Uh, yeah. I don't mind it. Oh, God. 
I wouldn't say I hate it. Oh, I do. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't mind it. Oh I'd God. probably change the channel if there was nothing else. If there was nothing else, I will sit there and listen, but, eh. Is it 85, <laughs> 85. I hate that song, uh, and I hate that video, but it became a running joke with my friends and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, back when it came out, my buddy, including, hey, listen, Joe, it was a big, you know, my friend Scott, Joe, Dan, all the, all the guys I hung out with. And for some weird reason, I don't know how this happened, but we, t- in our weird comedy bit minds, when we were hanging out at this place called Demetrio's, mm-hmm. which is now a Walgreens on the corner of uh, Montrose and Central. Hey, by the way, it's on the corner of Montrose and Central. By the way, Asbro, that was where we hung out. It's a Walgreens now. But mm-hmm. it was like a, a like a like a Euro place, and we hung out there all the time. We were there for mm. hours. We were there oh, for wow. hours, and we knew George. <laughs> George, the guy who ran it, we knew him. Um, I mean, yeah. If you're there for hours, I'm we amazed they didn't just give you a mop to start. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the guys actually started working there. One of the guys actually started taking orders. I but mean, we were there. You might we as well. There, we were there all the time. <laughs> like, if you didn't know where any of us were, there were like eight, nine of us that hung out there. Just if you didn't, if you had no idea, what this was pre-cell phone. All you had to do was go to Demetrio's at Montrose and Central. We'd be there. Yeah. Wow. And so it was the hangout. <laughs> it was where we hung out for hours every night. So, and oddly, tomorrow I'm going to get my, my third COVID booster mm-hmm. uh, at that Walgreens. So I'm going to get it at Demetrius. Mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my shot. I'm going to get my booster shot at Demetrius. <laughs> Are you going to hang out for hours at the I'm Walgreens? I'm going to hang out. After I get the <laughs> shot, I'm going to hang out. But we would, we would like hang out there and just talk shit and then every once in a while jump in a car and go to Rolling Stone and buy records and then come back. You know what I mean? And then come back. Mm-hmm. It was that kind of thing. That's what we did in the mid-80s. And for some reason, when we built this city was big, it was mocked constantly and the video was re goddamn ridiculous and, <laughs> and has been voted as maybe the worst video of all time. Now, did they play music at Demetrio's while you were there? They had like Muzak. And we would always, oh, okay. t- you know, they had like, but they would turn it to a radio station. We would usually turn it to like the loop or some pl- classic rock okay. uh, station. But we would just sit there. It was a hangout. It was like we would hang out. And instead of hanging out in a bar, we hung out at this place. Mm-hmm. Because when we first started hanging out there, we were not old enough to go to bars. We were like 18, 19, 20 when we first started hanging out there. Um, and uh, and then as we got older, obviously, then we started boozing up at bars. But, but for for a few years, Demetrios was our hangout, and we would talk about like music and all kinds of stuff. And again, like I said, we would drive up to Rolling Stone and spend all of our money on albums, and then come back and talk about it. But we built this city. The Starship song became like a, a topic of conversation because it's so fucking awful, and the video is so ridiculous. And I don't know how it happened, but we brought in the actor Bill Bixby into it. Oh right! And Why I don't, I don't I don't know because Bill Bixby. <laughs> Why did was like, he get involved? <laughs> we we loved we loved Bill Bixby and a lot of my friends were big Hulk fans and Incredible Hulk fans and I was just a fan of Bill Bixby in general. And one night we started riffing and singing that we built this city for Bill Bixby instead of rock and mm. roll, and okay. then that became the lyric. Like we would sing, "We built this city for Bill Bixby." We would do that. <laughs> sure, he was honored. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I, so it became like a running gag. And so it was my friends and I would always laugh about it and see the video and think it was shitty. But the song is terrible. And on top of that, you know, Starship used to be like a reputable classic band. I mean, they were once Jefferson Airplane. They were once yeah. like a real, they yeah, were yeah. a real band. They played Woodstock and they played Altamont and, you know, 
and then they were Starship. <laughs> they became Starship. <laughs> um, so, and they did that song. They Starship also did that goddamn song from uh, Mannequin. Remember that dumbass movie Mannequin? Uh, I remember Mannequin. I don't remember the songs. Kim, Kim? I mean, all those songs sounded very generic '80s. Oh yeah, pop oh, songs. Yeah. So. Every song <laughs> in that time period sounded the same. And this sounded like every other Starship song. What the fuck was it called? It was, uh, oh, nothing's going to stop us now. Well, we can build, we can heal this last forever. Nothing's going to stop us now. That song. That was them? Yeah, that's Starship. And it's from Mannequin. If I'm not mistaken, look it up. It's from Mannequin. And that was Kim Cattrall was a mannequin who came to life. Andrew McCarthy was the love interest in it. And I remember yeah. James James Spader did, he was the villain. He worked in the in the, the department store. He was the manager. And he was basically mm-hmm. doing Jerry Lewis. And I loved James Spader in that movie. But yeah, that song, Starship, that song. Um, and they huh. sing it. And they sing it in. I did in, not know that was them. They sing it in the Skeleton Twins. Um, uh, Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig do a wonderful, they have a wonderful scene where they sing that song. Yeah. If you've never seen the Skeleton Twins, it's a great movie. But Starship had that, and then they had Sarah. Sarah. You remember the Sarah? I do not. Oh, God. They sucked so bad. (laughs) All right, what else on this list, Esmeralda, pops out at you? Uh, For me, well, again... Not songs that I hate. Yeah. Um, but I, I I feel sad that it's so high up. Hmm. Uh, number eight's uh, Eddie Murphy, Party All the Time. Wow, that song is ridiculous. I like that song. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe it's so high up on this list. Well, it's not that bad. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. Um, But the video is fantastic. I mean... Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's where Rick James is so excited. He almost has an orgasm while he's watching. Remember? He's like, yeah. oh, when he's watching Eddie Murphy, and then he's, it's so good that he has to bust into the studio and sing with him. Remember? <laughs> he's, just, he's supposed to just be producing. But because Eddie Murphy is so fucking great that he's like, oh, and he gets so excited, he runs into the room. <laughs> he loves the song. He does. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, my girl wants to party all the time. Another 80s classic. Right around it's the same quite, time. I mean, it's catchy. Yeah, none of these. Yeah. Okay, so the only the only song... There's probably a couple, but uh, one that sticks out that yes, no, thank you is Toby Keith, courtesy of the Red, White, and oh, Blue. I'm blow it I'm out. fine. Blow it out. Your that could ass. be number one. Yes, that song <laughs> can blow it out its ass. There are other ones um, on here that all I hate. of these. I mean, Kokomo. I like Kokomo. Oh God, come on, Esmeralda, uh, really, really? Four non blondes. What's up? No, come no, on. no, 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 no. <laughs> That song is fucking horrible. Um, all uh, of but, I like all of these songs pretty much. All right, <laughs> so the Four Non Blonde song, uh, by the way, mm-hmm. became. I don't know if you, you. This is a long time before you started working at the car wash, but it mm-hmm. became the jingle of the car wash. Oh wow! Yeah, because you, you would turn, you would tune in to to WGN to to find out what's going on. And that was interesting. That, yeah, that was the that was a jingle for a while. Huh. Yeah. Well, I would have been fine with it. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. There are a lot of songs on here I hate. Achy Breaky Heart is a piece of shit. I don't I mean I don't I don't mind it. Uh, I liked it when it came out and you know, then they'd had the the backlash and then now I just it's like, okay, yeah. Yeah. Always hated song. it. Always hated it. <laughs> 
Everybody Have Fun Tonight by Wang Chung is a jam. Blow me. That song rules. Yeah. Wang Chung song. rules. Okay, Limp Biscuit Rolling. That sucks. <laughs> I like that song. Come on, you like rolling. Rolling, 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 rolling. It's catchy. You know, that used to be when uh, The Undertaker reinvented himself for a mm-hmm. while in the WWE when he wasn't like the scary, supernatural, evil Undertaker. Mm-hmm. His persona switched at one point, uh, and he became a face instead of a heel, and he became like a biker, and he would come out on a Harley mm. as as the badass. Ameri- he was the American badass, and he would come out to uh, American Badass by Kid Rock. You know, uh, you know that song, American Badass? You know that stupid-ass yeah. song? Yeah. Yeah. But he would also come out to roll and roll. When he first came out, he would come out to rolling by the <laughs> biscuit. I, I don't mind it. I, hate I don't that. mind it. I can't Cotton Eye see. Joe by Rednecks. Man, I. That song was nonstop wow. on the radio. All right. So you're a defender of all of this shit. Pretty much. Oh wait, wait. I let mean, me let me go down now. You can't. You can't. I mean that Uncle Cracker follow me song. I don't really. It's uh, it's mm. crap. All right. Now you hold on. Mm. Hold on, Esmeralda. You can't, you can't defend. defend fucking Bobby McFerrin. Don't worry. Be oh, happy. don't worry. Be happy. You I don't can't. mind it. Oh my <laughs> god. I don't mind that song. It's one of the worst songs. I, I, but I have a horrible memory attached to that song. Right. I think I yeah, told you this see, before because I was in the when hospital. that happens. Yeah. Yeah. I was well, in the yeah. hospital, and it was and it was at the I was in the hospital for a while, and it, that that song was at the height of its popularity. And every goddamn card I got said, "Don't worry, mm-hmm. be happy." And people wow. would come in and, people would come in and sing it in the in the in the hospital room. They'd bring me Jesus. flowers and go, "Don't win." I'm like, "Shut the fuck up!" That's and I hated lot. that song. I hated that song anyway, and I hated the video because I hate Robin Williams. And I was like, "Get the fu-. everything about that song made me want to." Take hostages. I just, oh. I mean, that's a lot that people are just singing it at you. <laughs> well, do you remember? Oh, you were very young. You were a kid when that yeah. was out. I mean, but, I understand oh. that, like, the context because you're in the hospital or whatever, but right. still, like. <laughs> oh, but you have, I, I, Esmeralda, you're too young to remember just how goddamn insidious that song was. It mm. was everywhere, everywhere. It was on the radio constantly it was on mtv every two seconds everybody was saying don't worry be happy it was seriously it was you could not get away from the phrase you couldn't get away from the song you couldn't get away from bobby mcferrin and his you know and all that bullshit um oh yeah so i can't i can't even now the madonna song that they pick is american life um which is not I one of my vaguely, favorite, not one of my favorite yeah. Madonna songs, but I certainly I don't say hate it's it. Bad. No, the only Madonna song that I actively dislike is her cover of American Pie. That's I. And I'm trying to think of Madonna because you know how I feel about Madonna. I, I, right. I adore her, and I'm trying to think of songs that I don't like or that I hate by her, and there aren't that many. Um, I, or if any, but I, the first one that pops into my mind is American Pie. That's the first mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of her more recent songs are not nearly as cool as what she used to do. Like, but I do still love, uh, uh, MNDA. I think that's a great album. And I love, uh, I'm Madonna bitch. That song she did with Britney, which I Mm -hmm. fucking love. So there's recent stuff that I like, but American pie, her cover of American pie is the only one where I go. And not on the list. No, but American life is, which most people. Yeah. 
I mean, we can always just, we'll cross out the life and put pie in. Put in pie. <laughs> <laughs> done. <laughs> well, done you know, and we, done. we can do that. That's my law firm. Yeah. I don't know how to make spreadsheets, though, so. <laughs> I'm your bitch. I'm your bitch. Remember, I can do that. I would that. know how to pop it or excel. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't no, I'm, too I'll, good at that. I, I will learn that for you, Esmeralda, because I am your law firm bitch. There you go. Then That's you can right. change it. Okay, what about this? Um... Mr. Mr. Broken Wings. Another classic age. Is it that these broken yeah. wings? Take these broken, broken wings. Wing. Yeah, I don't mind it. Fly I don't mind it. it. They had another hit, Broken uh, uh, Mr. Mr. They had a, another hit called uh, Kiri. Kiri lays on the road that I must travel. You remember that one? That was it? Yeah, that was Mr. Mr. Kiri lays on the road. And I remember the, the, the bass player, the lead singer was the bass player, and he fancied himself a sting. He was oh, so boy. He so wanted to be sting. Because, you know, this I is mean, the, they kind of look like. Well, and he plays bass, and he had, like, yeah, the same I could co- sort of it. hair and everything. And at that mm-hmm. time, in the mid-'80s, Sting looked a lot like that dude did. Right. And he was a yeah, lead I could singer. That. He was a lead singer slash bass player, and so was Sting. So, you know. Did he give himself, like, a, a whatever, what is it? A, what? Whatever what? sting, sting is because it's not a, it's not a, it's a past or present verb or something like that. Like st- the word sting is. Oh, you mean oh well, oh you mean as a nickname? Yes. No, he, I can't remember what the dude's name is from Mister Mister. Maybe it was Mister 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 Mister. I don't He's know. He's the Mister. He's the Mister and Mister. He's Mr. one of the Misters and Mister Mister. <laughs> what a terrible goddamn band. All right, what else? Um, Lionel Richie, Dancing on the Ceiling. I like Dancing on the Ceiling. Yeah, not a fan. Dancing on the Ceiling. Yeah, I'm not a big Lionel Richie guy. Commodores, I'm I'm with you. But like, hello! You don't like hello? No, in the goddamn video, this is how I picture you. (laughs) I mean, that's a weird, weird video. It is a very weird video, because he's calling her in the middle of the night, like, terrorizing her, and then hanging up. Right? And she's blind. Like, he's calling a blind woman up, hello, and then hanging up. Like, leave the blind woman alone. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. What about all night long? Come on. Okay, all night long until that goddamn, I told you about the wrestling event I went to at the AAW, where the guy came out and took 15 minutes to dance to it. Remember I told you? (laughs) Because you have to, because it's a good song. Like, the guy's, in, the guy's in, first of all, it's inappropriate. Don't you think it's inappropriate that a badass wrestler comes out to All Night Long and then before Why? wrestling dances to it for 15 minutes? That's how badass he is. He's like, yeah. I can just dance this for 15 minutes. Deal another with guy, it. As I mentioned, another heel, a heel, a bad guy who called the audience a bunch of, uh, what do you call them, pussy idiots. Uh, he came out to Don't <laughs> Stop Believing. He came out to Don't mm. Stop Believing. Uh, unbelievable. All right. But no, I can't. I cannot abide by the uh, dancing on the ceiling or that. Like Lionel Richie Commodores is just so much better that like it's hard mm-hmm. for me to believe that he wrote Brick House. It's just, re- <laughs> <laughs> it's just well, you know, re- people really? have their days. Yeah, it was okay. a good day when he wrote Brick House. It might yeah. not have been a, the best day when he wrote Dancing on the Ceiling. Um, all right, how about Corey Hart? Sunglasses at night. Are all these songs? Yeah. The, a lot of these songs are eighties. Uh yes, or or early nineties. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I I like sunglasses at night. Yeah, I like it. I've got my sunglasses. I wear. Yeah, it's a good song. I like that. I wear my sunglasses now. You know what song? It's it it is 
a copy of completely. What's that? Okay, now here's when 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 we're done, Esmeralda. I want you to listen to them next to each other or back to back, because sunglasses at night is a complete knockoff of sweet dreams are made of these. Mm. It yeah, is, I can see that. It's absolutely the same. <laughs> it's absolutely the same song. And Corey Hart, I, I dated a girl who was in love with Corey Hart. This, I, I dated this girl uh, back like uh, back in 80. Let's see, I'm trying to remember what year. It was 86 because we saw Top Gun together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw Big Trouble in Little China together. It was 86. Well, like, who wouldn't be in love with Corey she Hart? She was in love with him. Thought he was so hot. And I was mean, like, he was a good looking dude. And was always like, I think you should get your hair cut like Corey Hart, she would say to me. And oh, like, what? boy. What? <laughs> and now, oddly, my hair is cut a little bit like Corey Hart. <laughs> I guess I, I waited 35 years, so I guess uh, there you go. But he had a, uh, you can never surrender. You remember Never Surrender? I do not. Oh, that was his, that was his power ballad. That was oh, boy. Yeah. You could never surrender. <laughs> All right, let's see what else is on here. What? What? Or a couple more. What, what? What pop out at you on this? The, these are terrible songs, according to this list. But yeah, Esmeralda, for me, Esmeralda these so are just has... like I have to defend them. <laughs> <laughs> you have to defend them. Right. Yeah, see, see, there you go. It all fits in. Um, all right. What, what, what's, what are a couple more that you think uh, that you want to mention here? Uh, I like Breakfast at Tiffany's by Deep Blue Something. Oh, my God. <laughs> Esmeralda. I know all the words. What are the words to it? I'm trying to... Blah, blah, blah. Breakfast yeah. at Tiffany's. Tiffany's. What she movie said, is it I think I remember that film. And I don't think it wasn't a movie. I think it's just... It's it was no, a, years later, it was, it was a one-hit wonder. Years later, it was in a movie. Like, as a joke. It was, it oh, was as a you, joke. Well, yes, I don't it know. was like no, no, no. It was you. It, it was like Skeleton Twins. Like when Skeleton Twins did the uh, Starship song, mm. they brought back Breakfast at Tiffany's. It was in a movie. I swear to God, I remember it, and it wasn't very long ago. I'm saying within the past 10, 15 years, so they did it. There's a scene where they sing that goddamn song, and it was kind of a might have been an Apatow movie. My, you know what I mean? It was one of those mm-hmm. like, hey, remember this song? And then everybody in it sang it. Or maybe it was in a TV show or something. But there was a, either a TV show or a movie in the past 10 or 15 years. If you know, uh, leave us a voicemail or send us a, a, an email, 773-417-6948 or nickdpodcast at gmail.com. What was the Breakfast at Tiffany's? God damn it, what was it? Because I can picture it. I can picture the scene. Yeah, where, like they're that singing. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay, well, anyway, it's there. I liked that song. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, what about uh, what about Rico Suave by Gerardo? I loved that song when it came out. I, I, fucking, uh, yeah, I love. I don't song. mind it now. No, it's <laughs> I fucking love Gerardo. I love that song. I love Rico Suave. And I wish Gerardo had much more of a career than he did. I I love I I loved how he dressed. I loved his hair. I I <laughs> I, I, wow. I, I love Gerardo and I love Rico Suave. I love it. Rico. You know he went on to um, 
he became like a record a record exec for um like uh spanish speaking or like latin american music yeah so then like he he's essentially he's the one who brought in like that whole like spanish explosion uh, oh, the, the Ricky Martin and the and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, like no, no. You was... know what? I remember that now. I remember that he yeah, was he yeah. had a hand in it. Good for him, man. I like yeah. Gerardo. Good for him. I understand he's bald now. I think he lost all his hair, which is too oh, bad. Oh no, because he had such a beautiful head of hair, man. I just uh, no. Listen, I I'm I, gonna I, say so because he's just wearing hats every in yeah. all these pictures. No, I think <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure the dude lost a lot of that, a lot of the, Damn. Uh, a lot of the hair. But he, I I loved Rico Suave. I just I, <laughs> I and I was like, no, fuck you. I love that. I remember catching a bunch of crap from my friends, and I was like, I don't care. I'm I enjoy Rico Suave very much. I mean, it's a good song. I love it. Whatever. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then, uh, you know what? Oh, since we brought it up, Ricky Martin is on here. She bangs. Well, whoever put Ricky Martin, she bangs on here can fuck off because that song rules. Yeah. Um. I don't know uh, that one. I guess if out of all the Ricky Martin songs. Yeah. Eh. <laughs> yeah. But no, him, but, but I like but Ricky I don't Martin. hate it. I don't I think like it's Ricky terrible. Martin. Yeah. Living La Vida Loca rules. I don't. I love Ricky yeah. Martin. I like. Yeah, Ricky I love Martin. that song. So, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, um, color me. Okay, this one I have a problem. I I enjoy the song thoroughly, which is "We Didn't Start the Fire" by Billy Joel. <laughs> okay, I love that song. I, uh, <laughs> I I'm not I'm not a fan of that song. I can understand why it's on here, but I do, it's certainly not as bad as some of the other shit that's on this list. Um, and, I like, uh, that and song. I also think that I also think that Billy Joel has worse songs than "We Didn't Start mm-hmm. the Fire." He actually. We had to listen to it in one of our civics classes. I knew you were going to high say school. That. I knew you were going to say that because <laughs> I, it was, in the back of my mind, I was going to say I thought it was taught in class. It was though, wasn't it? It was you. You. you yeah, we we listened to it, and then well, then because it came with a a thing that was Billy Joel talking about the song, and you know all the current of <laughs> all the the events that he put into it and whatever. So it was like. They made it into a teaching. It wasn't just like my teacher right. was like, oh, yeah, this has current <coughs> right. events. We're going to play it. No, no, no. This is like a teaching tool. <laughs> I think what happened, though, Esmeralda, what I, I think happened was that because it started to be talked about in class, the Billy Joel embraced that and then said, okay, I'll make mm-hmm. it an official. I'll make it an official sort of teaching tool. Thing. Yeah. I think that's what happened. Which it's not even. No. Because all no, he's no. doing is just naming things. <laughs> exactly. You're not really learning it. I mean, I guess you're going to learn because you're like, oh, okay, that that happened. Right, but he doesn't give, like, specific dates and right. stuff. Right. Like, There's he, no context, really. Like, exactly right. I don't know why it's a teaching tool. I was well, just like, all oh, right, I like this song. <laughs> because teachers are lazy, that's why. Or not all teachers, but some teachers are lazy. But, like, I remember when I was – I will say this. When I was in high school, I went to Luther North, which is obviously a Lutheran high school. Mm-hmm. And so we had, you know, one of the prerequisites was that you had to you had to take a religion class every mm-hmm. semester, every year, and so and most of the 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 people who taught the the teachers who taught the religion classes like drew the short straw, and it was like Ooh. a lot of like football coaches and shit taught them, and they were like, oh god damn it, and so like their idea, a lot of the a lot of the like the football coaches are like, hey, I'm stuck, I got to teach religion class. And so they would go, all right, um, <laughs> we'd come in. And I remember specifically there was one football coach who clearly hated the fact that he drew the, 
short straw and had to teach the religion class mm-hmm. was like, all right, uh, kids, we're going to watch Jesus and Nazareth this week. So he'd wheel in the, <laughs> he'd wheel in the, he'd wheel in the video <laughs> recorder. And this was the early 80s, so video recorders weighed about 10,000 pounds. You know what I mean? Right. And he'd wheel it in. And, you know, uh, Jesus of Nazareth was like a five-day miniseries. So that would last half a semester. You know what I mean? Because the, the class is only 40 minutes long. <laughs> right. So he'd come wow. in and go, all right, we're going to watch he Jesus of Nazareth. He figured it out. He, he hacked and we it. Would, we, and we would watch Jesus of Nazareth. Like, you know, and, that, and then afterwards he's like, like, you know, like three, four weeks later when we were done with watching that, We'd have a quiz on Jesus of Nazareth, and then it's like, okay, we're gonna watch. <laughs> now we're gonna watch Godspell, and then you know, and that was the, wow, that was, that was the not that, even like the Ten Commandments. Yeah, or... anything. They didn't care, whatever the hell it was. Even if we watched it before, like in the next year, it'd be like, we're gonna watch Jesus of Nazareth. And we, we watched that last semester. I don't give a shit. We're watching it again. <laughs> we're gonna watch Jesus Christ Superstar. Like, right. no, we know. did. We watched Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We watched Godspell. <laughs> We went, How was, accurate are these musicals? They weren't. They didn't care. They like they would go off and smoke. Like be like, all right, they press play and go off and smoke for half an hour and come oh back. And did you God. enjoy Jesus? And I remember, I remember one time there was this guy. There was a guy. There was a guy in my class. This was the guy. Did I ever tell you about the guy I went to high school with who had the glass eye and used to fuck with people with it? Uh, yes. Yeah. He used to pop the glass eye out and drop it into people's soup and shit in the cafeteria and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> So anyway, this guy with a glass eye. I remember we were watching Jesus and Nazareth. <laughs> we were watching Jesus and Nazareth, and he thought he thought the teacher had left the room. We were. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm laughing at this, and it might not be funny to you, but I'm remembering it, <laughs> and to me, it was hilarious. One of my favorite things. So we're watching Jesus and Nazareth, okay? And he thought the teacher was out of the room. And the scene in, in, in Jesus and Nazareth, where, I mean, obviously you know where uh, Jesus goes to the temple and he gets pissed off because there's gambling going on and he starts flipping tape. You know what I mean? And goes nuts and <laughs> yes. starts. Okay, mm-hmm. you know the whole story, you know, the Bible mm-hmm. story where, hell, you can't have, you can't gamble, it's the temple, blah, 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 and he goes nuts and starts flipping tables and shit, so you know that, <laughs> so you know yes. that story, okay? Just All right, so in the movie, <laughs> in, the, in the movie, when that scene came up, and Jesus comes in, he sees, like, the, you know, the temple, the, the people buying stuff, and prostitutes, and gambling, he goes nuts and starts flipping tables and knocks stuff over, and Paul, the guy with one eye, go, we're watching the movie, and he thought the teacher wasn't in the room, and he goes, fucking hard guy, <laughs> Describing Jesus. <laughs> After he flipped the table, Jesus, fucking hard guy, he says really loud. And the teacher goes, Paul, and gave him like two dimensions. <laughs> he got detention because he thought the teacher wow. left the room. Because 90% of the time, the teacher wasn't even in the room when we were watching right. it. And so he's like, fucking hard guy. After Jesus flips tables, <laughs> he got detention for it. That's what I remember about my religion classes. So, anyway. All right. It's a powerful lesson. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, we're going to go, we'll go through this list a, a little bit more a little bit later on at a different time. But you are, you have so far the majority of the songs on this list, Esmeralda, you enjoy. Yeah, there's a few on here that I'm like, mm. Yeah. But, yeah, okay. out of the 50, right? <laughs> I probably enjoy like 45 of them. <laughs> uh oh, wait a minute. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love oh. Nick's show. By the way, Esmeralda, she's holding a sign that says, I agree with Esmeralda. Those songs are good. Oh, wow. That's what See? she says. Hi, Me I'm Carrie Russell, Russell, and I love Nick's show. And those songs. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, anyway, that list is available somewhere. <laughs> but the, sp- the spreadsheet that, uh, that they made is pretty, like you said, nerds got involved. 
Yeah, nerds got involved. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Well, listen, what do you got planned for the, anything planned for the weekend, Esmeralda? I will be visiting the lovely town of uh, Joylet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in Joliet, so I can I can mispronounce it That's without right. getting in Otherwise trouble. Otherwise, you'll go. Well, you know the laws. Uh. So, are you, is there a special event happening, or no? Just going to go visit the visit family. the folks. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. We'll have fun while you're out there. Thank you. Um, there you go. Uh, all right. Well. That's what uh, Esmeralda's doing, and uh, w- I hope you have a great weekend. We thank you for listening. Hey, listen, on uh, Tuesday's show, Dan Feinberg is back after uh, he, he was off for uh, about a week or so. Uh, we'll nice. talk about the ridiculous Emmy Awards mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, tons of other TV, so that's coming up on Tuesday. Again, if you want to be a sponsor on this podcast, you'll reach a lot of people. Contact us. I'm interested. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. Be a part of the podcast. Leave your voicemails. Leave all kinds of stuff. 773-417-6948. Drop us an email. NickDPodcast at gmail.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs for all the great work. Ed and everybody at RadioMisfits.com. Rate and review all of the great podcasts on every platform. And we will see you next time. Thank you, Esmeralda. Thank you. And thanks, everybody else. And we'll see you the next time on the Nick D Podcast. The wind is red on me.